Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we are learning together how to walk through the Christian life. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We're in uh, the third or fourth or whatever week of uh, lockdown quarantine in the United States and in the world, and uh, just glad you're tuning in. It's a Monday night. We're just going to quickly cover a topic on family occupations. It's kind of interesting because, you know, we have a family that's on the move. Christians uh, are having children, or one or two or five or none. Uh, kids go to college. Parents are working hard to make ends meet. We're Christians in the day of fulfillment. Remember in the former age, the age of that Jesus and the apostles were a part of, the age when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to come back. You apostles get my church ready. My bride shall be without spot. She'll be without wrinkle. And you get her ready and I'm going to come back before this place gets destroyed and I'm going to save her. There was a need for a number of things to be in place for believers then. And we read about those in the New Testament. They were in place and they were taken seriously. And the things that they did then were for them then. But in Christ, where there is no difference between bond and free, male and female, Jew and Greek today, the world is an open place and all believers have direct relationship with God. And I submit to you that one of the key factors to life is to discover what you are meant to do with your life, what you were meant to be. I also submit that what you were meant to do does not have to have any impact on others around you in terms of value. You could be made to be the president of the United States and you're, you're doing all sorts of things for people all over the world. You could be made by God to uh, be like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and you screw uh, screws on the top of toothpaste tubes. Whatever it is you're made to do by God, that is a glorious thing. We're all part of the body. The body is made of many members. And in fact, Paul points, points out that the ugly members are far more valuable than the, than the visible, beautiful members. For instance, what does my face matter at all in terms of value relative to an aortic valve or part of my brain, my cerebellum? which is not very attractive, I can assure you, not that the face is either, but which one means more? I could lose my face if I still have all those other important parts. I'm functioning, I'm acting in the body of Christ. Well, the body of Christ is filling the world and it's filling the world with, world with real believers. And so the topic about your occupation is interesting because in Christian circles, you go to Christian schools and things, a lot of people, a lot of Christian churches, there are believers there who are like, yeah, I really don't know. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. The world's going to end anyway. And occupations in Christian communities take on a, a really unique slant. All our Christian lives, we've been taught some powerful message, uh, messages about being a Christian, haven't we? And Seth has devised this really cool way that we're going to look at this kind of chart that we created. So bring it up, Seth. There it is. And in the center, it says being a Christian. And right straight above that, here's one of the messages that we're taught as Christians from the Bible. To not be of the world. Well, you know, that's a brutal uh, thing to teach somebody who lives in the world, who drives a car, who pays taxes, who has medical insurance, who, uh, you know, goes to restaurants, who, who ha has to pay for bills, who has children. 
How are you not in the world? So that has to be taken within the context of what it was given. You go over to the next one. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, you hear that and you don't really study what it means in context. And so you automatically are against riches as a Christian. So you might be made by God to be a rich woman or a rich man. But the Christian culture says, no, it's easier for a camel to get into the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. I can't be rich. And so you take what God made you to do and you toss it down the river. The next one is all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the father, but is of this world. That's true. That's true. But we live in this world. And so what it means is don't take and think the things that you have made yourself to be and do are going to transfer as valuable into the heavens necessarily, but your relationship with others and with God, that's what will transfer into the heavens. But it doesn't mean that when we're in this world, we don't have desires and we don't have to operate by those things. We have the next one. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's true. You can't serve two masters, but it doesn't mean you can't be serve one God and you can't have another one in place while you're a human being in this life. And this is where I think Christian rhetoric becomes problematic for people that when you hear pastors preach these things, and usually they're not in context and usually they're without reason, Christians then throw up their hands and just think, I shouldn't try to do anything. We probably have had millions, billions perhaps of Christian believers who God has equipped with great abilities in certain things, whether it's screwing on a a cap of toothpaste or it's governing a nation, they have probably sold that out and sat waiting for the second coming. They have probably neglected the gift that is in them and instead let the rhetoric from pastors overcome their natural uh, tendencies to uh, do good. Love of money is the root of all evil. That's true, but it doesn't mean a Christian has to love money. A Christian can become successful and use money to the benefit of the kingdom. Paul and others uh, um, heralded for working for God full time. What I'm talking about is we hold up naturally the apostles in church and in in Christianity. We say, oh, they were were great. They they did this full time. And, And that's true. In their day, what they did was sacrificial. It was more sacrificial because of what they had to endure at the hands of others. Nevertheless, because of the model of the apostles who full-time served Christ in his kingdom, we naturally assume that you have to do the same thing in your life in order to be valuable to God. We live in a very different age from that, and I want to emphasize that as we move on. The rich young ruler story we could always talk about, Mary and Martha, where Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet, but Martha chose to clean the house, and we have that Mary has chose the better part. And so we think, well, the better part is for me to go to seminary and to read the Bible and to, um, you know, serve in the church and to, you know, just not care at all about any of the other gifts that God has given us. The kingdom of heaven is like a field, and and that's where the the guy goes and he sells all he has to obtain it. So we have a lot of these ideas of selling all you have to get, selling all you have to get throughout Scripture. The principles are sound, that if you aren't willing to sacrifice your all for the kingdom, then you, you might need to look at what you're clinging to. 
but it doesn't hold water for what you were made to do with your life. What if you were made to be a great artist? What if God gave you the skills to paint beautiful landscapes and landscape is your forte? Are you supposed to cash that in because the landscape isn't of Jerusalem? I mean, what if God gave you great skill in the abilities of accounting? And, and you're, you could be a CPA, you could help out corporations, you could serve God with your family, but you have been so inculcated by these singular teachings, you turn from the gift God gave you. Then we have, of course, the final one Seth's going to show you, and that's eschatology. And that is, you have to put all of the teachings that Jesus and the apostles were giving into that place at that time for them. Principles certainly apply to believers today, but the eschatology sets the reason why these things were being taught to them then, and they can't be taken literally and applied to us literally today. We have had nearly 2,000 years since Jesus uh, promised to come back. He came back in the first 40. He said it'd be a, a generation, 40 years, and he came back. We've gone 2,000 years with people not wanting to explore this world and universe of things outside the Christian faith and learn a trade and learn a skill that they were made to do or work a job, but, in, but instead have bought into that rhetoric and have just cashed in on nothing. We have another one we forget, and this is another graphic Seth is going to show you. What we forget as Christians that in the scripture, there was a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. You remember him. Jesus had been crucified and Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. And it, he happened to own the tomb that Jesus' body was buried in. That was a great gift. He was a rich man. He provided the tomb for the Lord himself to be buried in. We can see that you can be a man of God, a woman of God, and have means. You don't have to live a life of poverty. You shouldn't live a life of poverty. You should not live a life serving mammon, but you certainly can make money. You certainly can use the skills God's given you. We forget the parables that Jesus employs in teaching include all sorts of people with trades, that we have agriculture, we have shepherds, we have people doing all sorts of things with their lives. That is very commonplace in scripture for there to be a salesperson or there to be a merchant or there to be a craftsman or someone who made this or that. That's a good thing. Paul was a tent maker. It's okay to have a viable, good occupation. And it doesn't have to be a humble one. There are some people who uh, have very humble trades who are very bad people. And there are people who have very lofty trades that are very good Christians. It's not the trade that makes you. If God has given you the skill and desire to have a certain trade and occupation, then you pursue that with God as your, uh, uh, your ultimate um, objective. And that is a good thing, right? We forget that this world needs people of every occupation. Do you think God would just send us down and say, hmm, I want my followers to not do anything. I don't want anyone to do anything but just think about me. Talk about me. That's all they do. I don't want doctors. I don't want medical staff. I don't want anybody who does bus driving. I don't want teachers. I don't want people who take care of children. I just want everyone to sit around and talk about me. That's what it's all about. Talk about me, right? Look at, you can't extract the faith that we have as Christians on this earth 
out from being on this earth. You can, the reason I think that God has us in bodies is to learn to cope and deal and interact with other people. That's where we learn patience and long-suffering and love. And that is where we learn to overcome our flesh and our successes and remain humble. If you were just in your spirit, you could say, well, I'm humble, but you have nothing to test it. But if you, if you have some successes in the flesh and you're a follower of Christ, you can choose to humble yourself. You have to choose to humble yourself. So God has equipped us all with, uh, the world needs all kinds of skills. I am so grateful. You know, last year, no, not last year, two or three years ago, my wife cut her wrist really badly at work. Like it, she dug into it like six inches long, all the way down. She cut a something. And uh, this uh, LDS Mormon doctor came into the ER and he was older and he knew his stuff and he fixed her up. He, he put that tendon back, that's what it was, back together, sewed it back together, sewed her arm up. He was rude to me. He was frankly flat out rude to me. But I was so grateful that that guy had the skills to sew my wife back up. That's godly. That's a good thing. And if you're a Christian and you're wondering, should I go to med school? If you are, feel you should, and if you are, have the desire, go to med school. Become a firefighter. Become a police officer. Sir, this is how we serve and we bring the light through our occupations and our vocations and our advocations in this world. We can get rid of the old model of you go to church in order to talk to other church people about Jesus and feel good. No, you use your occupation to get Jesus out into the world. So God has equipped all of us with certain talents and, and features. And we remember the last one is Jesus before his mission and ministry, which began at 30 years of age, was a carpenter. He actually had a trade. He had a skill. He knew how to hammer nails and he knew how to cut wood and put things together. He was a carpenter, our Lord and Savior. He could have said when he was 12, I'm going to be a full-time theologian. I'm sorry, but I will not work with my hands. No, he was a carpenter. And there's a message in that, that even the Son of God who came to earth did something with his skills and talents. And it's so vitally important to Christians today to try to get above that other stuff. So admittedly, if we're still looking toward the coming of Christ and knowing that what that is going to look like and what was expected of believers then as a means to hang on to the end, I would adopt, I would adopt literally those things that are talked about in Scripture. I would more and more get rid of my worldly belongings. I would less and less be tied to this world because I would believe that he was coming to take his bride without spot and without wrinkle and that I should be pure and that I don't want to be part of this world and get cut. I used to be more that way, but I've seen that that is that's archaic, that that was for a short period of time for those people and for God to stretch it out and have it that way and have the world doing this for 15, 2000 years. That doesn't make any sense, does it? He has wanted, God is not against science. He's not against improvement in this world. He's not against these things. We are, we are in his hands to do them. 
We don't live in that age anymore that is described in the New Testament. It has been fulfilled and forever completed. And the gospel goes forward by the Spirit, often using individuals engaged in those very walks of life I just talked about and not engaged in full-time ministry. I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to over the course of doing ministry, because that's what we do full-time, and have them, I want to go full-time ministry. I want to be a full-time pastor. I mean, there's people I frankly say, you're not cut out for it. One guy said, you don't love people. You don't love them at all. You love yourself too much. You'll never make a good pastor. Quite frankly, in this day and age, maybe he would make a good pastor. But bottom line, I mean, people, we have a desire to be full-time in ministry because we love the Lord and we think that's what we have to do to please him. And that's just not the case. It's a really hard thing for people to know these days. I have a daughter, my youngest. She's in uh, almost finishing school back east. And uh, she struggles with this, this concept. Uh, what does it matter if I have secular knowledge, a secular profession in the scope of the eternities? What good will my being an architect do or mean relative to my walk with God? It's something that plagues her. I've had dozens of conversations with her about it. And it's valid in the face of everything that Seth just showed you in that graphic. Because scripture teaches us those concepts and principles. We think, I just should just, you know, quit quit school and just do this and focus full-time in ministry. So how does a person decide, choose what to do with their life? It's a question many millennials and young people have. Is there more merit in choosing to live a life in the service of God versus the service of money? Now, that's a trick question. Is there more merit in choosing a life in the service of God or the service of money. Abso-freaking-lutely, there's more merit in choosing a life in the service of God. But where there is not more merit is choosing a life in the service of uh, um, God full-time. You see, here's the thing. Anyone can live their life in the service of God. It doesn't matter what they do in their flesh. This is a separation of the material and the spiritual again. Anyone can live their life in the service of God and do a secular job. Anyone can make that choice and it's the best choice. It's a foolish choice to live their life in the service of money, right? But so the the, the choice to be in the service of God is paramount, but it doesn't need to be full time. It doesn't need to be in the way that we have tried to describe it. So... Every person on earth can choose to live their lives in the service of God, no matter how we earn our keep, pay the bills, make ends meet. And the idea that the only or the best way or the most superior way to serve God is to be a pastor or be in full-time ministry or engaged in full-time ministry, it's simply false. It's created by the impressions we get from reading the scripture and the life of the apostles and the life of Jesus. But Jesus didn't come to a world to save a world to make a bunch of other Jesuses. He came to save a world that functions normally. He doesn't want all of us wearing robes and growing beards and walking around the street preaching peace. I I see these guys. We live downtown Salt Lake City. They walk around. They're carrying crosses. They're wearing robes. Sometimes they put crowns, thorns on their heads. I'm like, what are you doing? He already did that. Go get a job. Pay some taxes. Jeez. (laughs) So, uh, 
we have to tease that apart a little bit. And we begin to successfully tease it apart and accomplish this when we agree that God creates all of us with certain abilities, affinities, proclivities, desires. He equips us. Our creator has given all of us specific traits and we, we, those traits are in us naturally and we can hone them and we can advance on them. We can get other skills and things, but those core traits are within us uh, I believe from birth. I don't think we're tabula rasa. I think that we have him creating us and uh, he's given us those, those traits. How could there be more of an honorable thing for a person to do than to, to live up to the traits that they've been given to, by God? There is, there is nothing more satisfying in your life than for you to be doing what you were meant created to do. And if you look, if you look at anybody who's been successful in whatever realm they're in, they will almost always come around and say, I, I, I have found what I was <clears throat> meant to do or be. When people who are, say they found happiness or they've found being settled in life, it's because they have come into what they are supposed to do or be. And understand the caveat, it does not matter what that is. It really doesn't. What matters is if you're doing what you were meant to be and do. Get it? So the first question every individual has to himself as a believer is, what has God made me to be and do? What, what, what am I made to be and do? And we all have different answers to that. If you, if you think there's one answer to that, I think you're, you're sadly mistaken. That's the primary question to start with, and it speaks to his hand reaching down into our existence and having something. So if you're young, I would suggest you seek out what that is and bring God into the equation. The second question, which is a response the individual has to what has God created me to be, is kind of the affirming uh, response to that question. And what I mean by that is what God has made you to be is what you will desire to do. And so uh, what do you desire to do with your life? Now, we go through a learning curve on that. There are people who desire to be pro baseball players but their desire is not what God made them to be. And they don't have an arm that can throw past four feet. So yeah, you, what you do is you say, what has God made me to do with my life? Remember, its value is in whatever God has made. And then, is that my desire to do that? When your desire matches what God has made you to do, there's a marriage there. And you will begin to do what you are meant to do. And in that, you find the satisfaction. People who do things that they were not meant to do will leave that thing. Or they'll be very unhappy doing the thing that they are doing because they were never meant to do that. I, I see this all the time. I usually work in public places unless you're in worldwide quarantine, but working in public places. I used to be in sales, stockbroker sales, so I know salespeople. And when you're sitting in a Carl's Jr. or you're sitting in a public place and you're working on your sermons and you watch them come in, 
and I watch them. They're, they're, they're men and sometimes women and they're in business suits and they are miserable. And they come into those places to eat away their sorrow. They're so miserable. And they sit there and consume calories and they'll spend two hours in there and they'll be on their phone and every now and then you overhear a conversation. Yeah, I'm really working hard on this contract. You know, uh, I'll talk to you later. And they put the phone down and they just sit there doing nothing because they aren't doing what they were meant to do. And it's difficult to figure that out for a lot of people. So that's the thing. But remember, it says in uh, Psalm 34, 7, 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. Now, we read that and think, if I delight myself in the Lord, he is going to grant what my heart desires. I desire wine, women, and song. God's going to give me that, right? But that's not how to read that. You read it, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That means he will put the desires in your heart. So when those desires are there put by God, it matches what he made you to do. And you have a formula for success, not defined by money, success, not defined by any of these external things, fame, fortune, any of that success is defined when an individual discovers what God made them to do. And they have that in their heart. When they have that marriage, that is real success in this world. The world measures success in a lot of different ways, but I don't agree with it. So I suggest that those two factors always work together. What God has created you to do and what you desire. And this is the key to a successful life in God, irrespective of money. Money is, is a side issue. That's a separate thing. And most of us have problems with money, meaning we don't have enough of it. That's just part of the world. And I think that's God's plan to not have enough of it because he keeps us on edge as to how we're going to make ends meet. And I believe that, but that's a separate thing. We're talking about a successful life. You know, I hope he doesn't mind me bringing this up. <coughs> we have a man in ministry. You hear me mention Seth all the time. And when I met Seth, uh, I remember I was at a... Um, Rubio's restaurant uh, up in uh, Salt Lake City. I point that way because that's where it is. And um, I asked Seth, uh, Seth wanted, wanted to be in ministry. And I said to Seth, what do you like to do? He flat out said, uh, tech stuff, tech stuff. And uh, I said, great. And from that point forward, uh, Seth has been involved in tech stuff. And that's what he's done. He's made to do that. He's made to be a tech person. His personality is tech person. He thinks analytically. He, he doesn't like stupid mistakes and stuff. He, he likes things to be right like a tech person does. And he's grown in that. He desired it. I think God made him to be that. He'd been involved in it because he desired it. And he has grown in it. And yes, he has done great things in the ministry He's done great things in a lot of ministries, actually, his own included. But he also has work outside of it where he works on secular things. And, and it's a healthy model, but it shows that, that God will grant you the desires of your heart. He will put those desires in with how you're made and you'll be able to do it. 
And I just think it's a fascinating thing. Many people, many believers don't really know what they were made to do and be, and they allow the biblical mans that we showed in those charts to dictate their lives. They say, you know, no, I can't serve the world. No, I can't do that. No, I, I, I can't serve God and mammon, and you can't. And they, they just have all those biblical things that take them and remove them from reasonable service in this world. We do what we do, and it's purposeful, functional. So if God has made you to be in ministry full-time, be in ministry, be in ministry, and be equipped to be in ministry. And in this, we have a three-legged stool of how to choose occupations as a Christian in this world. Number one leg of the stool, has God created you to do what you do? Number two, do you have a desire to do what you do? And number three, are you equipped to do what you do? The equipping comes through a lot of ways, but you've got to be equipped to do what you do to fulfill the desires of your heart and to fulfill how God has created you. So that's why you pursue things that interest you and you pursue them with God as your, your uh, uh, lead. Remove any of those three elements, any of the three, God created you, you desire it, and you're equipped. You remove any of them, and you're probably going to fail in that thing. God could have made you to do it. You could have the desire to do it. But if you don't equip yourself, if you don't grow in what you're supposed to do and, and continue learning and continue ab and adapting new information, it can, be, it can be through school and it can be through self-taught. doesn't matter. I had a brother who was self-taught in everything and he was a multimillionaire. It has nothing to do with education. Do you equip yourself? And you take those three uh, legs of a stool and that stool will be something you can stand on. But you remove any of them. If you have a desire and you're equipped, but God hasn't made you to do it, you can forget about it. Uh, you won't have the skill. You won't have the ability the way others around you do who were made for that thing. And if God made you to do it and you're equipped, but you don't have the desire, I don't think that's possible to tell you the truth. I think once God has created, you will have the desire, but that's a side point. I could never in my life ever imagine myself being um, a, tech, a tech, tactical person. I could never in my life imagine myself being a mathematician. I cannot fathom math. I'm good at arithmetic. I can't fathom geometry. The language is so confusing to me. All of that stuff confuses the heck out of me. God didn't equip me to be it. I didn't equip myself to do it. And I don't have any desire to do it. So when you can do that in your life, you can get rid of a lot of stuff and you let God lead you into what you're supposed to do. And we all know that these three... Uh, uh, we all know that when you have the three strikes against you of those legs, God hasn't equipped you, you don't have the desire and you're not equipped, that you should probably never pursue the course that you're thinking of pursuing. All right? So as a means to help give our Christian kids some insight and so what they ought, ought to pursue after their education, if they get one, uh, begin with the three witnesses of occupational choice, which I'm sharing with you tonight. Did God make you, equip you to do what you want to do? Do you desire 
to do what that thing is? And are you equipped? Are you driven to equip yourself with the information and the skills to participate in those things? That's the trifecta. That's the troika. That's the trinity of, of Christian occupation in the fulfilled life. Once those three factors are in place, guess what? You, no matter what it is, working at the post office and filling the stamp machines, if that is what God made you to do, that's what's at your desires of your heart and you're equipped to do it, you are glorifying God with your life. You are glorifying God with your physical life. And there's no greater satisfaction than to be doing that. And it's the unique thing about living in the age of fulfillment. We do not have to spend 24-7 in Christian ministry. In fact, most don't, and they shouldn't. Uh, You can serve God better one hour out of seven when you're doing what he made you to do, doing what you desire to do, and you've equipped yourself, than if you spend 24-7 and God didn't call you, God didn't equip you, and you don't desire it. So just know that the way to glorify God with your life is to live up to what he made you to do, what you desire to do, and what you've equipped yourself to do. And that includes being a parent. That includes, I'll put it this way, simply being a father, simply being a mother. That includes simply being someone who works the crosswalk when school's out. It means being a truck driver. It means being a baker. It means being anything in this world. It's a glory to God when you have put him first, you serve him always, and you let him lead your occupation. So never hold up the position of a full-time pastor or a person in ministry above a pipe fitter or an insurance salesperson or a waitress who love the Lord. And never allow yourselves to think that just because someone is dedicating more of their week to God I spend my whole week in the service of God, that they are more honorable in his sight. It's not true. Uh, Do what you are made to do and be, equip yourself with what you are made to do and be, and you're glorifying God, whatever it is, because as a Christian, you take the message of Jesus with you into the people you meet. You share that light in, in ways that no one else will be able to do it. And that's how God is reaching people in this age of fulfillment far more than people preaching, uh, you know, come and join the church. It's through your interactions with the individual. Write your comments below. Love to talk to them uh, and read them um, on the show. Love to hear your experiences and what people have taught you about your vocation, your avocation, your occupation in this world. And we'll talk about it tomorrow night here on Heart of the Matter. Subscribe!